don't know if you got the theme for today, but I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, right? Because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and covered me in the robe of righteousness. Baruch Hashem. And I'll tell you what, um, I trust that today through this message and through the Parsha or the uh, Haftarah that we will have a better appreciation of what God has done for us. So let's pray. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Hashem Yeshua Mishikenu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before you, God, with grateful and thankful hearts. Abba, that you have redeemed us and set us free and shown your face upon us. And God, I pray that you would touch us today and transform us, that we would be more like you, God. Abba, that each and every day, Lord, we would grow into your image and likeness, that we would be faithful, Lord, to your ways. And we ask you, Peshem Yeshua and God's people said, Amen. Today's message is entitled, The Arm of Adonai. Yeshiyahu, chapter 61. Remember, we've been looking at the seven consolations, the seven haftarot. And Yeshiyahu 61, verse 10 through 63, 9, brings to a conclusion the liturgical cycle of seven weekly haftarot of consolation, which begin to be recited after Tisha B'Av, when the destruction of Zion is mourned. This particular Haftarah is filled with an excited expectation about the reality of who God is and what he has done and is about to do for the people of God. I want to tell you this, that we, above all people on the face of the earth, should live with great expectation. Because if we are connected to God by faith, then I'll tell you what, God says that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come for your life. As you walk with him, the best is yet to come for the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, I said it at our prayer meeting on Thursday, we look at the the news and we look at the world around us and we see rioting in the streets We see hate, right? We see racism. And do you know what? That although the turmoil seems to abound, I want to remind you of what happened in the 60s. We had similar turmoil in the streets of America. And what was the result? What came after that turmoil was a great move of the the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you that when it looks like that the world has gone to pot, God has another move. So we, of all people, should be excited about what is coming for the kingdom of God, what's coming for our lives, for our families. Amen? And I would say this, that if you're not excited in your life, that you're probably not seeing things the the way God sees them. If you're not excited, I would venture to say that perhaps your faith has been a little diminished. And I want to encourage you. You can't see it in the natural. See, in the natural, it could look really bad. But I'll tell you what, when you see God and what he's about to do, you see the glory of God. Guess what? It can't, you can't help but to put a smile on our faces. Our God is a God of redemption. He is mighty to save. He is for you and for your family 
and he looks for every opportunity to help you. Today we're going to look at this Haftarah and look to apply the message of God's grace and goodness to our lives. The first thing to consider, I'm not going to read the passage because I'm going to read it in sections, at least the sections I want to read, because I'm not going to exegete the entire passage or else we'd be here till tomorrow. But I'm going to take selections from the passage and speak about it. So the first thing to consider from the Haftarah is why God's people should respond to him. And that is simply because God brings us salvation and triumph. Now, let's read that section. It says, I am so joyful in Adonai. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in salvation, dressed me with a robe of triumph. Now, the word there is sada, or it's from sadiq, right? And it really means righteous. He has clothed me in righteousness. But guess what? That the goal of our life is that we would be considered righteous for, before God. Guess what? That is triumph. You see, it's not just about this life. It's about making it through this life and being able to stand before God that he would consider us righteous and worthy of his kingdom. Like a bridegroom wearing a festive turban, like a bride adorned with her jewels. For just as the earth brings forth its plants... Or a garden makes its plants spring up, so Adonai, God, will cause victory and glory to spring up before all nations. You know what? If you ever get depressed or discouraged from the things you see in our world today, I want to remind you what's coming. God says that he will cause victory and glory to spring up before all nations. You see, God gets the last move. God gets the last say. No matter what is going on in our lives, God is the authority. The tone of this whole passage is one of anticipation. And I really want to emphasize this, and I hope you get it, that faith allows us to to anticipate the goodness of God in the land of the living, despite our circumstance. Because I could look across this room, and I'm sure there are plenty of bad circumstances going on in some lives. But God says, despite that, we can walk in triumph. We could have an anticipation by faith. Because it says rejoice and exalt in a future tense. In other words, get ready for what God is about to do. Because there are great things that are ready, just like a garden, and he likens it to that. Just like a garden, right, is about to spring forth and bear fruit. So God is getting ready to spring forth and bear fruit for his glory. Do you know what? Back in the 60s, We could look at the things that happened on college campuses across America, the things that happened in the streets of all major cities and say, man, this is the end of the world. 
this is bad stuff. But yet God moved in a powerful way. And guess why he moved? Because there there were people who dared to believe him. There were people who did not shrink back and cower and say, oh my, things are so bad, but but rose up and said, no, God is going to do something meaningful and powerful in our day. People of faith. And I want to encourage you to glory in the salvation and, and triumph that God is about to bring. You see, the prophet being joyful in God is to be noted because far too often we as people look to our circumstance to dictate our level of happiness and joy. You see, we do it to the point that joy and happiness becomes indistinguishable from our current situation. If our situation is acceptable to us, we're joyful. If it's unacceptable to us, we're discouraged. You see, my talit is, has a mind of its own today. And God says to rejoice for good reason. For he has clothed you in salvation. Could I tell you We lose the forest for the trees. At the end of the day, the Mashiach came to purchase our salvation. So that for eternity, when we leave this earth, we will be guaranteed a spot at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This earth is temporal stuff, and things are all going to fade away. But our salvation and our eternal state will remain forever. And he has clothed us in salvation and dressed us in triumph, in righteousness. In righteousness. You know, recently I was reading through um, the Parsha Kitavo. And specifically chapter 28. And as you know, that's the chapter in Devarim of the blessings and the curses, right? Now the chapter is about 60-something verses long. The first 14 verses are the blessings of God. Oh, and boy, do you get happy reading those. And I'll be blessed in the country and in the city. I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And hallelujah. Awesome. God's so good, I'm blessed, right? 14 verses. But then verse 15 comes, and all of a sudden it blunts our excitement. Because for the next 60 verses or 58 verses, God talks about the curses that will come upon if we don't totally obey him. And can I tell you, some of the things that he mentions, I don't know if you've read it lately, or if you read through the Parshas, some of the things that it says God will do, I started to my gosh. That's not good. God's judgment is, and as I'm reading it and reading it, the joy is leaving, and I'm starting to say, wow, this is heavy. This is, this is, whew. 
I mean, he talks about, you know, there's cannibalism in there that the people are going to be given over to it. It's, it's horrific. And it's all dependent on 100% obedience. Now, I'm sure you, like me, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe once or twice, didn't totally obey the Lord. Maybe once, maybe once in your whole walk with God, didn't obey. And if we didn't, these things will come upon us, says the word of God. And then, as I was saying, man, this is a tough one, God. This is a tough read. I felt the light of God shine into my soul and remind me that all of the curses of God will bypass us because of Yeshua. All that nasty judgment, and now it's warranted. The judgment of God is totally righteous, but it still means it looks good. And all of that judgment and all of the anger of God for the sin of mankind is not going to come upon me because I have been clothed with righteousness by Yeshua. Could I tell you that that despair that I was beginning to get in my soul as I was reading through the harsh judgment of God turned into pure and total elation. That, hey, guys, we are not under the curse. For it says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The Messiah redeemed us from the curse pronounced in the Torah by becoming cursed on our behalf. For the Tanakh says, everyone who hangs from a stake comes under a curse. Yeshua bore all the curses and judgment of God upon himself so we can go free. Now I know, I know we who are just mired in the world and mired in big TVs and mired in salaries and houses can't see that is such a great thing. But I'll tell you, one day when you stand before the living God, There is not one possession or thing on earth that's going to mean a red cent to you. The only thing that's going to be important are you hearing these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Wow. God has clothed you. Selah. Close your eyes and meditate on that for a second. And let me tell you, uh, you, like me, are not so deserving. I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, oh yeah, God, absolutely did I deserve it. Because you know how stellar I am inside and out. I'm squeaky clean. I absolutely deserve it. No way. But despite of that, because we simply believed on the Mashiach he sent, God has clothed you with salvation. And he covered you in in a robe of righteousness. Think about how blessed of a state you are in. That God, the one and only, the one, 
we will all day stand before in all his majestic glory has personally clothed you in the robe of righteousness. We're entering Rosh Hashanah. The days of awe. Will it go well for us? Will we be written in the book of life? Guess what? God wants us to go through it with joy in the knowledge that, yes, we are and have been made the righteousness of God. When we really understand that without him, hear that, without him, the full weight of the judgment of God would fall on us. It can't help but to make you feel overwhelmed with joy. Here's a story. A man said, while walking along a busy street one day, I heard someone singing. His sweet voice was distinguishable even above the noise of the traffic. When I located him, I noticed that he had no legs and was pushing himself through the crowd in a wheelchair. Catching up with him, I said, I want you to know how singing from a person in your condition gives everyone else a lift. He answered with a grateful smile. When I stopped thinking about what I had lost and began concentrating on all that I had left, I found much for which I could rejoice and be happy. Too often we who are blessed beyond measure, look to the things that we don't have or that we feel are lacking in our life. And we're not as joyful as we ought to be. But when we stop focusing on what isn't there in our life and that God himself personally purchased our salvation, we'll be able to rejoice. And he doesn't stop there in this verse. He goes on to say that just like the earth, did you, when you walked in, did you notice grass and trees? Did you notice any? Or was it barren? No, there, there was grass and there was trees. And just like the earth brings forth its plants that we could all see, and just like that undeniable reality, so God will cause victory and glory for his people that all nations will see. Just like the earth yields its fruit, so you and I are destined to live in victory and revel in God's glory. Devarim 20 and 4 says, Adonai, your God, is going with you to fight on your behalf against your enemies and give you victory. What makes us overcomers and victors? God's salvation through Yeshua. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And the victory that has overcome the world is this, our faith. It is our faith. And that's why the enemy of our soul works so hard to steal your faith. Sickness comes knocking at your door. You see, God don't like you. Things get a little tight financially. See, God ain't for you. 
Relationships aren't doing what you think they should be. You see? God's abandoned you. So don't lose your faith. Don't answer that door when it knocks. Don't let negative situations rob you of your faith in Messiah. Rather, let it be exercised to grow. That's where our faith really grows. Our faith grows in the petri dish of affliction and challenge. That's where it really grows. It grows when it's tested. It it grows when it looks like there's no solution. It grows when it looks like we are hemmed in on every side. It grows. So don't lose your faith. Because it says in in the Psalms, through our God we shall do valiantly. And through our God we will have the victory. So guess what? The enemy always tries to get us to do. Abandon God. Yet the scripture says it's through our God that we'll have the victory. But he gets us or tries to get us to abandon our very avenue to victory. Bad move. Don't let it happen. Stay the course and don't lose your faith. With this comes the realization that as God's people, and some of us need to hear this in this room, but we not only need to hear it with our physical ears. We need to hear it with our heart. That we are the delight of Adonai. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the delight of God. Say that. And if you don't have someone next to you, find someone, turn your head and say, you are the delight of God. No, you are the delight of God. I know what you're thinking. Rabbi, I didn't have a good week. You had to see what it took to get here. Rabbi, you had to see us in the car on the way to shul. Doesn't matter. You are the delight of God. Because he has already clothed you with salvation. He's already made you and proclaimed you righteous because he's righteous. Guess what? You are the delight of God just the way you sit. Look what this section of verses says. You will no longer be spoken of as azuvah or abandoned. Or your land be spoken of as shimama. Desolate. Rather, you will be called Hepzibah. My delight is in her and your land, Be'ulah, married. Why? For Adonai delights in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, your sons will marry you, will, you, will marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. Your God will rejoice over you. Now, something important to note. This scripture is talking about Jerusalem. And the land of Israel, right? But the land of Israel is not separated from the people of God. a matter of fact, I remember Dan Serid talking to me once. He's a Sabra, born in Israel. Messianic Jewish believer, right? We've had him speak here. He said, why, 
And she said, Rabbi, why are, the, are, are people from America so caught up in dead stones and old buildings when they come to Israel? And I got what he was saying. It's the same reason why there's anti-Semitism in the church. They say they love Israel, but what they mean is they love the land of Israel. Yeah, they love Jerusalem, the city, and the streets, and the old walls, because it reminds them of the Messiah. But you know what? who God's in love with? Yes, he gave them the land to reside in, but he's in love with the people. God, when God says, Israel, my beloved, he just doesn't mean the, the terra firma. He means the people. And guess what? This verse is speaking to us as the people of God. That you may feel abandoned and desolate. For Adonai delights in you. And your God will rejoice over you. Sometimes people look at believers and make some very wrong conclusions. These conclusions are made because they measure us to the standards of the world. To some we might look abandoned and desolate. Perhaps we hear them say, where is their God? How come he didn't help them? God is not moved by the, uh, hear this, and this is a good lesson for us. God is not moved by the expectations of the wicked. God doesn't fall under peer pressure. Oh, if God loves you, he'll do this. God doesn't buy into that. God's love is everlasting and secure. God works in his own sovereign time and for his own purposes. He moves and acts according to his flawless plan. And he does it For good reason. Instead of abandoned and desolate, the opposite is actually true. Hepzibah, my delight is in her. God delights in you and he delights in you with all your flaws and all your weaknesses and all your shortcomings. All he, I, uh, I say it? All your doubts. I know you don't doubt God ever. In all your doubts, his delight is in you. He delights in you, for you are from him. Get it? You are from him. It's like a father not delighting in the child. I know fathers never get angry at their kids. Ever, right? No, 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 we don't. But just because we become angry over their behavior from time to time doesn't mean our delight in them has changed, not even a bit. And so God, yes, sometimes gets angry at our conduct or our behavior, right? Because sometimes we do silly things. But don't mistake that for him ever losing his delight in you. Someone said this, what people think of us 
or what we think they think of us is a powerful influence in our lives. The opinion of others directly relates to our own self-image and ultimately affects the way we act. And sometimes what others think about us in our condition uh, impact us. The same is true about how we, pre- how we perceive God thinks of us. That's why we must look at what God has said about his people in the scripture. Because some of us think, based on our circumstance, that maybe God is happy with me today. He's not happy yesterday. Oh, no, he wasn't happy with me yesterday. And his favor couldn't have rested upon me in that season of my life. God's people will and have always been flawed. Wave at me if you have a flaw or two. Oh, that's all? Okay. Right? Yeah, we have some flaws. That's why we have to realize it's not something unique to us. But we have to grasp the love of God. Shaul wrote to the Ephesian Kehillah and he said this, so that Messiah, close your eyes, may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to grasp with all the kiddoshim what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge so you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. In the class I'm doing on Wednesday, we talked about meditation. That would be a great one to meditate on, to think about that verse. Because some of us, we, we, we operate as if God loves us or doesn't love us based on our performance. I want you to begin to ask God for the revelation of that verse and that truth in your life. That you would know the love of God which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. God's love And he has nothing but love for his children. Tehillim 40 and 6 says, Many things you have done, Adonai, my God. Your plans or thoughts for us are wonderful. There is none to be compared to you. If I were to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to count. You hear that? God's thoughts for you and his plans for you are wonderful. What does God think of you? Wonderful. Wonderful. That's how he thinks toward you. Just like you think toward your kids. You love them. Everyone's kid is the best kid. Right? I have the best kids in the world. That's what I would say. And I'm sure you would say the same thing. Best kids. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That doesn't mean perfect kids. That doesn't mean they have an issue or two. But to you, those kids, top of the line. Same with God. 
Listen to this verse. For you have created my conscience. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am awesomely, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was unformed. And in your book were written the days that were formed when not one of them had come to be. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How great is the sum of them. Were were I be able to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Wow. When I awake, I am still with you. God. His thoughts, how precious are they. If you ever think, what does God think of me? Remember that. What does God think of me? That's what he thinks of you. And we listen to the standards of the world. We listen to the voice of hell telling us that it's performance-based when in fact, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This tells me that God has his loving eye on us and he has had his loving eye on us for a very long time. It says before we were even formed in the womb, before that, God's loving eye and thoughts were toward us and were precious. So not only does God delight in us and think awesome thoughts toward us, he rejoices over us. The next time you hesitate to rejoice. Now listen, I sang that song, and let's face it, sometimes on Shabbat you guys stand around like you need like a a shot of, a, a cup of coffee with three extra shots of espresso. Because you don't look so excited in God. And the reason that happens is because we fail to really enter into to what God, we don't get that revelation of God. Think about this. Not only does God delight and think great thoughts to us, he rejoices over us. Now, if God rejoicing over you doesn't get you to rejoice over God, I don't know what is. The God of the universe is rejoicing over you. When I realized that there's no way I could sit here like this, Oh, the guy in the PowerPoint didn't move the words. Can't worship. Oh, he's two pages behind on the words. I can't worship. Oh, the, the, the words are down. That's it. I might as well sit. I can't do it. Knowing that the God of the universe is rejoicing and singing over me. Me. The dust of the earth. How much more should it cause me to rejoice over him? Zephaniah, right, says it. Adonai, your God, is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. Guys, if that doesn't, that would embarrass me. That I'm going to go to heaven... And God is going to be dancing and singing over me. And I'm going to sit there like this. 
school. Why is that one so exciting? You don't know what I've been through. That the God of the universe is going to get up off his holy throne to dance and sing over me. Guess what? I would be embarrassed to sit in my seat without getting up and say, no, 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 God, I'm going to dance and sing over you. I know we're not much for the dancing and singing. I know we're, north, we're from the Northeast. We're in the Northeast. We're a little more reserved. Let me tell you, get rid of that inhibition. The word picture there in Zephaniah is full of emotion. The God, the Father, is the one who holds his daughter Jerusalem, his people, and he sings joyfully in her presence. Let me put it to you. He's stoked about you. He's not just doing it, okay, oh, it's an obligation. I'm God. They're my children. I better love them. No, no. He's genuinely stoked about you. That's like when you see your baby for the first time and you're like, is that the most awesome, beautiful thing you've ever seen? That's how God sees you every single time he sees you. And guess when he sees you? All the time. And he's genuinely excited and singing and rejoicing. And I bet you he's puzzled. Oh, no, no. I bet you God is probably puzzled when he sees us respond to him in the ways we respond. Like, God's probably saying, well, I think he knows. The reason we respond like that is because we haven't gotten that revelation in our kishkas. Let me tell you, today as I was singing, I was getting the revelation of God's love. And guess what that makes me? Now, I know, sometimes it also comes into my head, they must think the rabbi's crazy. He's gone off the deep end. Because you know how I know that? When I open my eyes, which I'm having a grand old time, I see some people like this. How could I have the nerve to keep my mouth quiet when God's rejoicing over us? See, we get that revelation of how much God loves us. We will not keep quiet. If I or if we stop to really consider what the scripture is saying, it is really quite humbling to realize that God, I mean, just picture that. I don't know if you have an image of God in your head. That God is rejoicing over you. He is so joyous about us that it causes him to sing. Can't wait to heaven, right? When we, when we, when we, when we, tikkun olam, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and you're going to hear the voice of God sing. Could you imagine what the voice of God singing is like? It's amazing. Lastly, God himself will help us. That's what this is telling us. What do we do when all else fails? For some, a sense of hopelessness hopelessness and despair might set in. Maybe you're in a situation now where you think, man, I don't see this changing. For others, they just give up on life, concluding that this must 
be the way it's just going to go for me. I'm too old. Can't turn around now. Oh, there are, there are many people in the Bible that were really old before God even started. That's what we do. We just toss in the towel. This, this is my lot. Believers, however, have another hope. We have the promise of God to personally, no, you didn't hear me, personally, for God to personally come to our aid. This is unbelievable to consider that God would take such an interest in frail humanity to get into the mix and deliver us. Look what it says. Who is this coming from Edom? In crimson garments from Bozrah. The one, this one, splendid in his apparel, pressing forward in his great might. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel so red and your garments like the one who treads in a winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone from the peoples. No man was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered my garments, so I stained all my robes. For a day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was amazed, but no one was assisting. So my own arm worked victory for me. God said, you know what? I don't see it getting done in the life of my people, so I will do it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll step out of eternity and I'll step into time and I'll seek and save the lost personally. Gee, does God like us? You think God has a thing for us? That God's looking at heaven saying, it's not happening. Guess what? I'll do it. That still hasn't touched some of you, but I trust and pray that it does. The JPS commentary on the Haftarot says this about the verse. In context, this is what it's saying. In context, the query appears to be that of the watchman on the walls awaiting the advent of the Lord. The imagery of God trampling a vineyard bespattered with blood is connected with Edom and Bozrah. We understand that it is God himself that is spoken of here. So if you ever had question as to does God love me and is God concerned for me, this passage should put that to rest. God himself being willing to get involved in our redemption and vanquish our foes. This verse is similar to, because it references the Messiah. One writer says this, there is no confusion of messianic nationalism in the Targum. Aramaic translation of the Hebrew. The arm of the Lord is the person of the coming Messiah to the Jewish Targumist both before and after the birth of Yeshua of Nazareth. That is what they believed. And look what the Brit Kaddishah has to say. And then I saw heaven open. 
and behold, a white horse. The one riding on it is called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And many royal crowns are on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he shall rule them with an iron rod. And he treads the winepress of the furious wrath of Elohe Tzivaot. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who the Messiah is. It's a glorious day. Frightening day. You know, we advertise a lot for the high holy days. By the way, P.S., if you're part of this community, you need to be here for the high holy days. But we advertise, and even in our digital advertising, we always get a few Jewish people that might respond, oh yeah, messianic, give me a break. Well, let me tell you, to my Jewish friends, my family members, he's going to come out of heaven one day, and you're going to wish you were behind him. The Messiah is going to come, and he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as, you know, do you know the Tanakh says God is a warrior? And he's coming on a white horse in battle array. King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know what? He's been battle tested. He's not king of heaven only. He's king of everything. Whether you like that Don't like that, agree with that, don't agree with that. That is the truth. Whether you want to bow or you don't want to bow, whether you love him or hate him, the truth is when he comes and you stand before him, there's going to be one response and you are going to sink and crush under his glory and you will go to your face before the supreme king of kings. Some of us will do it willingly and there'll be others that do it under the power and glory of God. This is the God that loves you. If you ever wonder, gee, have I gotten in over my head in life? Is there anything too difficult for God? I've been thinking about this for weeks. Is there anything too difficult for God? Your situation, your family, your finances. Is there anything too difficult for him? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Because he is king of kings 
and Lord of Lords. I'm going to share this story. I've shared it before, but it seems just fitting. Because God personally, you need to know that, that God delights in you. And that God personally is concerned about everything you go through. And he personally wants to come and rescue us. Listen to the story. John Patton was an emissary in the New Hebrides Islands. One night, hostile natives surrounded the house where they were staying, intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them. Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe came to faith in Messiah. Remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men with you there? Patton knew no men were present, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the house. Isn't a reminiscent of the, of the prophet? It says, open my servant's eyes so he could see. Right? The servant is saying, we're doomed. We're surrounded. Look at the armies. And he said, Lord, open his eyes so he could see. And what did he see? The chariots of God. See, you think you're alone in your situation, in your struggle. You think it's just me and my wife getting ready to get burnt down. In this house, in the Hebrides, far from everything. But no, no, God is there to personally help you. I love that story because we don't even know. We often think God misses opportunities to help us. But if he never encountered that chief, right, he would have thought it was just happenstance. He wouldn't have known to the extent that God went to help him. I want to tell you, there are times that God has come through for you in similar fashion that you know nothing about. That God moved heaven and earth to keep you safe or protect you or stop harm from coming your way. And you know nothing about it because he loves you and because he's for you. You know, and as we enter into these high holy days and we reflect on ourselves and we might conclude, gee whiz, God, I got a long way to go. I need to do some, you know, teshuvah and return to you in many areas of my life. Know this, that it's all good. That God's heart toward you is one that's full of love, that he's for us, that he's fighting for us, that he purchased our salvation that he made you right before him, and all we have to do is realize that, and we will run to him. So as we head into Rosh Hashanah and the Yamim Hanorim, the days of awe, we rejoice, realizing that God brings us salvation and leads us into triumph because we are his delight and because God himself will help us.
God himself will help us. God himself has helped us. God himself has helped you many, many times. Baruch Hashem. Let's stand on our feet. I have homework for you. I want you over the next week or so just to meditate on Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Consider that just for you in your private time, your devotion time. Meditate on Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and King. Father, we thank Father, we thank you for all you've done for us, God. God, no one knows more than than I how unworthy we are, how simply human we are. And yet, God, you desire to have mercy on us, and you love us. And you saved us. Father, we're grateful. Father, I pray that for each one here, you would grant revelation into their spirits. That they would know the depth and the width and the height. And the love of God that surpasses understanding. Father, that they would know it not in a mere intellectual way. But God, they would know it in their heart and in their kishkes. They would know it. Abba, that it would be from that place that they operate their lives. Father, that they would understand that you rejoice over them with singing and dancing. That they are the delight, the apple, the center, the pupil of your eye. Father, grant revelation of these things. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, bless your people in this week. Lord, may we gather together on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, and bless your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Walk in the grace and the power of the Lord. Amen.